you're listening to Not Many of You Should Become Teachers, a podcast that explores the world of K-12 education as it intersects with the Christian faith. You might call us extreme moderates. We're skeptics who try not to be cynics and are allergic to cheap rhetoric. Welcome to the show. Hey folks, Dave here, doing a solo episode this week. Riley's not in studio, and I thought that I would uh, take this episode and talk through a few things I've been up to in my own uh, journey, not just as an educator, but as a learner, and so talk a little bit about that. Also, just some reflection on this podcast and this project we've been uh, we've been a part of. Riley and I launched this just after uh, Christmas into the new year, 2019, and it's been a lot of fun. And some of the conversations and the spin-off conversations have just been wonderful. Um, I'm looking back through our episode list. By the time uh, you folks are listening to this, uh, we'll probably be uh, 16, maybe 17 episodes in. Uh, and I'm scrolling back through and just um, looking at some of the highlights of of things we've talked about. Everything from uh, our tagline that we're skeptics without being cynical and just navigating that that massive tension of uh, how do we how do we spur ourselves on to um, to the not just the best that we can be um, but a sense of faithfulness and so I'm. Um, massively encouraged by that. We've uh, had some wonderful guests. We had our colleague Lizabee to talk about Indigenous reconciliation and about indigenizing education here in BC. We had Tim Cavey on digital citizenship and technology and being um, faithful citizens uh, of both uh, the earthly city and the heavenly city. Um, I've talked about historical thinking and faith formation, and we've talked about some books and podcasts, all sorts of things. And then, boom, out of nowhere, we had this massive double episode with our colleague and uh, Riley's dad, Irvin. And uh, just so you guys know, that that one uh, has received pretty much the most listens of any of our episodes. And uh, so we just can't plug that one enough. Um, The problem of faith. And uh, we heard from from Irv on that. And we're just coming out of a, a, another two-week uh, back-to-back episode series with two of our high school seniors, and Tessa and Jacob, who are, uh, are some of our biggest fans, they... Uh, they, they tuned in, and then they also shared uh, some expertise from their experience. I'm, I'm sitting here uh, behind my desk in my, in my classroom, uh, converted it into the studio today, and I can't help but think a couple of things as I look at this desk. This is, uh, I'll, I'll send out a picture, I'll put it on Twitter, of this old oak desk. It's this banker desk, uh, likely from uh, the turn of the previous century. And uh, this this has been in my family for many years. And I actually, you know, paid a small fortune to move it out from Ontario, where it was uh, my grandfather purchased this desk. And, uh, oh, there we go. Grad rafting chaperones. Ooh, that would be fun. Uh, maybe I will do that this year, but I'm going to turn off that sound. And my father used this desk in university. We've had this in our home for a number of years and then uh, moved it out to out to BC, and it is now my now my work desk. As I sit behind this desk, and I can look out across my classroom, and I think of the the chairs and the uh, it's probably a bit of a stretch. I'm still relatively uh, 
you know, new in, in the teaching uh, profession, still under a decade. And uh, a, it would be a bit rich to say a whole generation's gone through here, but I'm, I'm thinking of students from some of those early years um, sitting in these very spots and what they're doing now. We are anticipating uh, some alumni voices um, joining us. If you're, if you're listening to this and you uh, are an alum of the school we teach at, um, or you have been uh, connected in some way in your past to Christian schooling, we would love to hear from you. Send us, uh, send us an email. Uh, we do have an email, uh, notmanyofyou at gmail.com. Send us a, a direct message on, on Twitter, at not many of you, and uh, please be in touch with us. We would love to to hear your story and certainly share your story and some of your experiences in the Christian education world. Something I've recently added to the top of my oak desk is a small card that I received uh, from Fuller Theological Seminary, which is, uh, as some of you will know if you've tuned in, uh, I've recently started taking some courses and doing uh, some online work uh, in their school of theology. So long story there. Uh, but I've put this in a photo frame. I had tuned into one of their chapel programs when I first um, started, right around the time this podcast launched is when I, I began seminary. And uh, they just invited and said, if anybody wanted one of these prayer cards um, that uh, the, the team, uh, the, the chapel team down there had sort of just prayed over these cards and thought they would be maybe of encouragement or um, speak into people's lives. There's no magic there. Um, but, uh, but God certainly works through scripture and uh, can speak to us in our seasons of life. And so I had no idea I was waiting. And uh, so the U.S. mail delivered and uh, up through Canada Post. And, and uh, a long while later, I mean, I certainly could have received the email, um, but I wanted the physical card. And it arrived and uh, comes from the prophet in the Old Testament, Joel. And uh, again, I'll, I'll share a picture of this as well. These are deeply meaningful things to me. Uh, and it says this, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And as I look out, um, you know, beyond that placard on my desk, I can see the desk of the students. I can think of uh, my own beginning in a new season of learning in graduate school and doing some theology courses. And uh, just the, the openness of God's spirit working in our world um, through men and women, uh, young men, young women, old men, and uh, just this uh, profoundness of what God is doing in the world. And so that's atop this desk that I have, and I'm so honored to have it in my classroom. It reminds me of uh, a little quotation I'll read here from another book on my shelf. We've mentioned this before on our podcast. Podcasts are getting some of these um, these favorite um, authors and recurring uh, themes, I've noticed. And, and one of those is Sarah Bessie. She's a local author. We've plugged this book before, Out of Sorts. And the subtitle is Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. And I think you heard that uh, when we certainly were talking about malleability of faith with Tessa and, and Jacob, our current students, um, that's sort of our vision and our hope. And this is what Sarah says about a certain type of faith and being rooted in time and place. And uh, so as I sit here in my classroom, sitting here at this oak desk, which has a history, um, I share this with you. This is what Sarah writes. Our faith is often embodied in the relationships and neighborhoods where we live. In our world of globalization, technology, and mobility, we've misplaced the sacredness of place. 
The act of staying and living in our place has an impact on us practically, of course, but also on us theologically. It's not always sexy to stay put, is it? In most of my church tradition, no one ever mentioned the work, the holy work of staying. No one talked about how the places where we live life matter to our spiritual formation, how we are shaped by our communities, by our rootedness, our geography, by our families, and by the complex web of connections and history that emerge only by staying. So Sarah's talking about this staying power of being rooted um, in a place. And I'm beginning to sense that even as I I realize um, I'm now... Uh, part, becoming part of, we don't have wallpaper, but I'm becoming part of the proverbial wallpaper. Um, I'm kind of established and rooted here. And rather than sort of that becoming stagnant and stale, um, I realized that there's something I can only ever encounter in my own formation and certainly in my teaching, being an educator, in um, recognizing the sacredness of staying put staying in place. There's a time to, um, time to branch out and a time to, to certainly try new things. We want to be innovative and we want to uh, have best practice. We want all of these things. But there's something about staying power and a rootedness. Um, so very encouraged by um, the words of Sarah Bessie. And uh, hopefully those speak to your experience, wherever you are, if it's in your classroom uh, or in a ministry context. I know we've got uh, some alumni listening to this, wherever you guys are. Um, certainly to the current students, um, wherever it is, um, God has placed us there. What does it mean to be faithful? And how can we, um, how can we be for us as educators, um, constant learners and teachers who have something to offer from the tradition? probably a little bit ironic to speak of rootedness and being in place when I'm taking online seminary. Uh, I'm in a virtual classroom space and uh, most of my time, uh, pretty much all of my time, certainly to date, is not on a physical campus, not in uh, in a physical classroom. And I've, I've noticed a few things about that. I certainly am aware of the pros and cons of, of online schooling. And uh, there's there's some drawbacks, and it's not um, it's not ever a full replacement for um, physical classrooms and, and physical spaces. But we use this technology all the time. I'm thinking back to digital citizenship, and when Tim Cavey was on here talking about um, us using the technology, harnessing it, um, and it, these are effective tools. Um, Fuller is one of those places, and and again, this is uh, uh, my endorsement of this particular institution simply comes because. I'm paying them tuition, and uh, I've signed up, and I'm happy to be affiliated with the school. Uh, they uh, they've embraced online, uh, and that's not that's not pleased everybody. Um, you can imagine that this is uh, a period of massive disruption um, for that school. Um, if you're interested in how how institutions, particularly institutions of learning, are navigating some of these profound changes in how schooling works, in in, in educational technology, in um, certainly Christian thinking through that theologically, um, I'll send up this link as well. But go uh, check out Fuller uh, edu and take a look at their page called The Future of Fuller. And uh, I won't tell their whole story here, but uh, the campus is in process of moving, uh, their physical campus, uh, and they've shifted so much of their stuff online. And uh, so 
I've wanted to experience that. Um, I'm experiencing a, a, a depth of community. I think I was a little bit of a, I certainly was a skeptic of online portals and spaces and, and fearing that it was just going to be me replying in forums and not actually really any, knowing anybody. And uh, some of the connections I've made even just online with people all over, uh, not just North America, but over the world um, who are enrolled in uh, the course I'm currently taking, um, it's just been... Uh, Again, encouraging. I, I love that it is a supplement and I love that it's augmenting what I'm doing um, here. And some people might say, oh, this is, this is sort of the, the advertising spin. Uh, if you look at online schooling and online theological education, uh, they mention, well, you're, you're, already, you're already rooted somewhere else. You're already connected in place. And, and I don't take that as uh, cheap rhetoric, to use uh, the phrase uh, Riley. I got to give credit to Riley. He, he came up with the, the cheap rhetoric line that we are allergic to. And uh, I don't see this as cheap at all. I don't see it as a cop-out. I think there is something to be said um, for allowing... Uh, practitioners, allowing people who are in careers, allowing people who are in vocations, uh, who are in a sense of calling in their own place, whether that's church ministry or teaching in my case, uh, to, to be there and then to access um, their own learning in, in other ways. So really excited about how that has panned out and how that's working. If you've listened into our podcast for any length of time, or if you've been a student of mine, either currently or perhaps in the past, you'll know that I'm a little bit allergic to some of the ways that we speak about faith and uh, try and shoehorn that into our learning and and thinking about that. Uh, one of the ways that I, I'm often skeptical of, and I, I have to check myself constantly, not going to lie, I have to... Um, force myself to recognize that God will work in ways that uh, I, I myself might roll my eyes at. And I think I have to be okay with that. One of those is the way people speak of so-called God moments, when really we're talking about coincidence. And uh, I believe in both. I believe that uh, there are God moments. I think that God orchestrates and coordinates things in our lives, and we see a lot of this in hindsight. Uh, there's other times when it's just coincidence and that's just the way the world is and God made it that way as well. Um, but I'm going to talk and, and I'm going to use the language of God moment um, to describe confirmation in one sense of looking back in just a little bit of hindsight as I signed up for taking my own courses taking on this uh, responsibility of learning and uh, assignments and grading and all of this that's on top of my own workload and with uh, my work here at the Christian School. And uh, so this is, this is one of those connections I think you as the podcast listeners on, uh, about faith and learning uh, might see some, some connection and overlap and uh, find some general encouragement as well. So one of the courses that I signed up for uh, admittedly was not one of the first courses that I thought I would like to take. Um, I'd seen it, looked interesting. There's course selection online, of course. And um, this was, I would say, probably my fourth, or maybe even my fifth choice. Not because it's not interesting, it's just there were things that uh, I was more interested in. Things like uh, emerging adulthood and spirituality. I was like, oh, that's kind of what I do. Um, that course was full. Um, there were um, other courses, um, theological history, history in the church. And I was like, oh, I, I want to learn some theology and I'm a historian, so let's do that. 
that was also full. Here's the thing that happens. I'm, I'm now at the bottom of the pile. I'm this rookie freshman, as it were, in grad school. And so the course um, selection, um, I'm, I'm the last uh, who gets to pick. So there you go. There was another course and suddenly it was available. And uh, this course is uh, called Theology in the Public Sphere. And uh, that's mildly interesting. I, I thought, oh, that's, you know, at some point, maybe I'd like to, to think about that. That's the, the nature of faith and uh, uh, in uh, the political arena, in the economic realm, in our social realm. How do we interact with people beyond the walls of the church? And does the church have anything to say to the world that's not just sort of um, inward gazing, speaking to ourselves? And so this is a, it's a, a fantastic course of looking at some of the biblical foundations of that. I'm looking at um, the historical development um, it's, it's Western in, in one sense, but then it looks at the, the global developments and the global church. And, uh, I, on the surface, I noticed some parallels. I was like, interesting. We're going to be looking at apartheid and South Africa and the, the South African church's response, for example, uh, to racial segregation and, uh, and, and the, the public response that, that the church made and, and some of the Christian influences in that. And so I began to notice that there's uh, some overlap with some of the course content. And it wasn't until I got to the assignment. So you guys know I'm the, I'm the book guy. Um, I have to give credit to Riley. Riley is editor of the podcast. Riley brings, uh, he brings a certain amount of energy that I, uh, even in my uh, relatively youthful middle age, um, just find myself uh, fatigued. Riley brings it and uh, is able to, um, to speak the language uh, in ways that I can't. So one of my first big assignments is a book review. And so, like I said, I'm the book guy and uh, I love reading books. And so this is, this is wonderful to be assigned some reading. And so I think I've chosen the book for public theology, uh, theology in the public sphere. And I've encountered a theologian who I'd long heard of, but never actually had the time um, or the inclination maybe to pick up uh, the book. Maybe I was a little bit intimidated by it, Um, but here we go. This assignment is due in about three weeks, and I want you to see the parallel, the overlap, the connection that I have. This is that confirmation for me. Um, This is a little bit of that God moment of, you know, a God is at work orchestrating and bringing things together. The theologian is um, one of the most famous in the 20th century, uh, his name's Jürgen Moltmann, uh, still alive. I believe he just celebrated his 96th birthday. I saw that via Twitter. So again, Twitter and online, uh, the miracles of online technology n- never cease. Got to see Jürgen Moltmann blowing out his uh, birthday cake candles. So of the myriad of books that Moltmann has published uh, in his career, the book that I've been assigned and I've selected is God for a Secular Society, The Public Relevance of Theology. God for a Secular Society. Uh, when I hear words like secular, I, this is me. I get nervous over how it's being used. And I uh, am grateful for the way that Moltmann uh, ends up using the word secular. Uh, I think sometimes in our Christian spaces, secular becomes, as we've talked, the, the, the bogeyman 
out there, um, the foil to all that's that's good and pure in the world. And uh, what Moulton means by secular is not um, the antithesis of Christian faith, but actually the world that we are in. Uh, he, he says early on in the book that actually secularization, to become secular, is not... Uh, actually to become more worldly and to forget um, things of religion, but actually it's religion fully realized, which is which is a bit bizarre. But what he's really getting at is we are deeply uh, religious creatures, creatures uh, who seek out and live by not just story, but seeking out ultimate meaning. And it might not even have to be ultimate meaning, it is just meaning and purpose in our lives. And so Moltman says, actually, the modern project, um, largely out of the uh, Western Enlightenment um, ideals, I'm remembering back to Irv um, sharing in his episodes, the problem of faith and what we've done to faith and belief, it's that world, that secular, enlightened, modern world uh, that really has accelerated um, views of what Moltman is calling Christian and appealing back to Jewish views of hope, views of how the world ought to function and where we're headed. And you basically secularize that by uh, removing transcendence. Uh, and so the, Moltman says, okay, God in the secular world for a secular society. So here's, here's the God moment. Here's the God moment for me. I'm reading theology in the Project of Modernity, which is chapter one of this book, reading it over the weekend. And I'm also thinking of my lesson plans, thinking of bringing in IB history, which is sort of our capstone senior level history course. It's coming in for landing. The exams are in two weeks. And I'm thinking to myself, it's review time. We're in course review mode. What can I do? How can I engage the students so that they um, are prepared for these exams? And I quickly realized we're going to do one last reading together. Um, my students don't know this yet. I've, I've launched it on um, our online portal for the classroom. Uh, but our review days are going to include some, some very selective readings of Jürgen Moltmann's um, Theology and the Project of Modernity. Because that is basically the course that I've been teaching. Um, we've looked at the rise of authoritarian states in the 20th century. We've looked at, we've gone back 500 years to um, conquest in the so-called new world. And we've looked at the role of religion and faith. And yes, this is, uh, IB is a course that would be taught anywhere. Most of the IB international baccalaureate schools are not um, confessional or Christian institutions. Uh, but we can study religion, and we study religion in the new world, and, and I say this to students often, that religion is both the toxin, it's the poison, it's corrupted, and it is at the root of systems of inequity and systems of conquest and slavery. It is also the antidote to those very problems. And so, out of uh, Christian traditions, not unlike the Great Awakening, some of the early evangelical movements, um, it is these folks that painfully, yes, they uh, are some of the staunchest advocates of slavery and uh, slaveholding, uh, but it is also out of the same soil that you have um, the, the roots of the abolitionist movement and the, the great campaign for human rights in that area. So we play with both of those things. So this is the world that I need to draw to a close for our students here at the school I teach at. 
and I have this book review, this book assignment that I need to do. And so I'm reading Moltmann. And uh, so I've, I'm going to actually pull up the photocopy that uh, sitting on my nice oak desk that I'll be handing out to students shortly. This is from page one of the book. And I started to realize that um, perhaps there's something more than co- coincidence. Perhaps um, God has allowed orchestration, allowed uh, the coincidence beyond coincidence uh, of me to be in this course um, for this time. This is what Jürgen Moltmann says. Of course, um, I mentioned this to Irvin, who, uh, who does speak German. Uh, Moltmann is a German theologian. Uh, I'm reading it in translation. I am not that advanced, um, but uh, the English will suffice for, for our purposes. It says this, as the theology of God's kingdom, theology has to be public theology. In other words, all theology is public. There's no such thing as sort of my private little um, views on God. It's public, he says, public, critical, and prophetic complaint to God. Public, critical, and prophetic hope in God. And that's, that's the space we live in. That's what I get our students to do. That's what I see um, Christian education uh, about is uh, to be critical, um, to be prophetic in the sense of calling things out and seeing things for how they really are. That's that's part of the prophetic tradition, and it's complaint to God. Um, I think we can call out for the world as it as it ought to be, as it should be. We should be compelled and moved by a particular vision of how the world should be, and what. God is doing in the world through Christ to, to reconcile all things. And then it's this other part that it's public, it's critical, it's prophetic hope in God. And it's this idea of hope. Uh, it's this idea of where are we moving as a people, uh, not just a people of God, but, but all humanity and um, God working in all times and in all places. Um, this is what Moltmann is talking about. So I really hope that today's episode has given you just a little bit of insight into some of the stuff I'm up to, both in my learning life and in my teaching life, and especially where those two things are coming together. Um, I see a lot of intersection happening, and uh, you may call it coincidence. Um, I'm I'm quite delighted um, to think of it as um, the Lord showing up in my life in ways that uh, are affirming of uh, my calling as a teacher, as, uh, as an educator in this particular school community, to be rooted in place here, and to recognize that the grass is not always greener. I think sometimes uh, we can get bogged down in our, our mundane day-to-day coursework or our, the assessment we have to do, the students that are in my classroom. And sometimes we read uh, or we encounter, we do some professional development and we hear all these amazing ideas and think, well, that couldn't work in my classroom. Or uh, if I can just get through uh, through another day, through another set of lessons, or uh, man, it's amazing how much work I can get done and things I can do when I don't have classes to teach. Um, um, that attitude is is something that uh, I have found to tap into something for me. It's seminary for me. It's diving into some new learning um, theologically. This has given me um, just some resiliency to say, you know what? No, I'm I'm here. I'm rooted. I'm in, and uh, I'm able to bring some of these wonderful insights for my own enrichment, for my own spiritual formation. 
And as that works in my life, um, it is not just a hope uh, in the sense of a wish, um, but it's a deep hope. It's actually a prayer um, that that would rub off in some ways, um, that that would be the um, that would just be the the sentiment and the vibe in my classroom and beyond uh, as we touch the you know and impact the lives of students. Um, so we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, you've listened to me for almost half an hour talking away. So thank you for uh, for tuning in. Um, just a reminder about uh, not many of you should become teachers as a podcast. You can find us online. Um, we do most of our stuff on Twitter. We're at not many of you. Uh, we're available on all sorts of platforms. Um, And so please go ahead, um, give us a lovely review. So once again, thank you for tuning in today. On behalf of Riley and me, uh, we appreciate your support of the podcast. Stay in touch with us, ask us questions, give us feedback. We would love to hear from you and we will catch you next time.